How y'all doing? So good to be back with you all and to just watch you guys' fellowship is a blessing. See you guys hugging each other and um, being together is just such an amazing gift from God, so we thank God for that. Um, let's give our worship team a hand clap of praise. I also want to thank uh, Pastor Seth for leading us in that time and praying for uh, our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas. I want to encourage you to be crazy generous, right? Ask questions about what you should give. Don't just give the first thing that comes to your mind, but be generous in your giving because it's good for you and it'll bless others. Amen. Um, also want to encourage you, if you have not signed up for life group, for D groups, to please do so. You can see our connection table in the back to see what groups are open. Um, we'll love to have you be a part of that. Amen? Good stuff. We're going to continue in our series on It's Complicated, and we'll be talking about uh, another controversial issue today, which is politics. We'll be talking about politics today. And so I want to answer from the onset, why are we doing this? Um, we are doing this because we believe that we should have a response as a church on issues that are happening in our day. Right now, I think our country is inundated by politics. And by the word politics, I mean just how uh, the, all of the activity surrounding how we are governed, how we are governed. And so that has mass implications. That shows up everywhere. And so I want to spend some time this morning talking about how should Christians respond to political issues. I think we live in a very divided country. Um, some would say it's not really that divided. It's just being more transparent in how we see each other. Um, but I believe if, if we have, as a church do not have a response, if we don't have something to say about issues that are happening at water coolers and happening at family dinners and happening in our communities, then our witness is, is hindered. Amen? So my job as a pastor, Ephesians 4, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's what I want to do. I want to equip you to do the work of the ministry. I want you to feel equipped as you go out. And so that's what this series is about, okay? We have many groups in our country that feel alienated, that feel oppressed, that feel forgotten, that feels unimportant. And as a Christian, we have to answer the questions, what do we do in these conversations? Okay, I want to commend two resources to you. I've been doing that since I've started. I want to continue in that. So there's two books that I'll commend to you. Number one, Jesus for President by Shane Claiborne. A good, fun read. Um, and then the other one is a more comprehensive work, somewhat onward by Russell Moore. So I want to commend those two resources to you. Amen. What time is it? Let's get it. Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Let's get into God's word. Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22 says this. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. 
Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrite. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying taxes. And they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? And they said, Caesar, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. I want to talk about three things this morning. I want to talk about the genesis of government, Jesus' politics, and a peculiar party. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word stands forevermore. God, again, we, we grieve with those that grieve, and even as we look at the reports of what's happening in the Bahamas and the stories that are coming out of it and the death tolls that are rising. God, we ask for your help. We ask that you would bless the people there. We pray for the churches there. And Father, even as we think about the, how, how quick life is and how at any moment life can leave us, help us, Lord, to number our days and to live lives of wisdom. So I pray that you would help us to live not just for today in this moment, in this world, in our careers, but that we would live for a coming kingdom which has no end. We will live, Lord, for uh, uh, eternity with you, Jesus. So Father, I pray for those this morning that may not know you, uh, as their Lord and Savior in the pardon of their sins, I pray, Lord, would you be the hound of heaven and hunt them down? Would you rescue and save them for your glory? And Father, for us that, that, that do know you as Lord, would you challenge our hearts this morning to be more of the people that you're calling us to be? And we thank you for that, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Genesis of Government. If you've been uh, following us along in our CBR reading for this, for this, this, this time, this week, we've been in, in the book of Revelations. And one of the things I love about Revelations is you get a high view of who God is. I mean, if, if, if you can read, you can't miss it. He's, he's high in the book of Revelation. He's glorious in the book of Revelations. You, 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 you see God in, in, in his full splendor and power in the book of Revelations. You see him surrounded by a myriad of angels at his beck and call. You, you, you see elders casting their crowns down before him. You see numbers of people that cannot be numbered from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred. One of the things you see in Revelations is God lifted high up 
on the throne and having all power and all authority in his hand, not shaken by news reports, not shaken by things that come across his desk as if he did not know they would come. What you see in the book of Revelation is a powerful ruling king who has complete control and sovereignty over the, over the whole earth. He knows how many hairs are on the head of every human on the planet at every given time. Rodney, why are you going this way? It's important as we ease into this text that you remember who God is, because Satan is good all week long as trying to get us to forget who God is. I want to declare this morning he is not defeated. He is not still in the tomb. He is not weak. He is not uh, a, a, unable to move on the behalf of his people. But he is calculated, he is sovereign, and he's in control, and he knows what he's doing. And that God loves you. He loves you. And he calls you by name. And he calls you to himself. And this was his plan all along. All throughout this series, I've been walking this pattern of going back to Genesis to root what, what, what major issues we have in our culture, to root that back in Genesis. So I go back there again. And I want to say, as we talk about politics and we talk about government, government was, was in, in God's intention, he was supposed to be our God, and we were supposed to be his people from the beginning. When he created Adam and Eve, God ruled over them with sweet fellowship. You know, a good leader, it doesn't even feel sometimes that you're being led. A good leader sometimes will lead you to do stuff and you think you came up with that idea. God is with Adam and Eve and they are experiencing something that we have not experienced in all of our lives, but by the grace of God will experience with him in eternity. They are experiencing the sweet fellowship with God the Father. Without no division, without no manipulation, without, without no co coercion, there's no conspiracies. There's just this sweet fellowship with God and his people, Adam and Eve, but sin comes in and ruins the whole thing. God's ability to lead his people came into question. And because of Eve's sin, we were robbed of that fellowship. So God has to keep moving. So he establishes a covenant with, with Abraham. And he, he starts talking to Abraham. We see this in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7. It says, and I will establish my covenant between you, between me and you, and your offspring or your children after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be, to be God to you and to your offsprings after you. We see this as he leads his people out of bondage. He is rescuing his people so that they could come and worship him and so that he can be their God and they can be his people. We see this in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. 
It says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. In other words, he saves them so he can show them, I want to govern your life. Why? Because you flourish best under his government. There is a perpetual lie being told that, that, that to be a Christian or to be a part of a church is to let someone, some man rule over you or dominate you or try to, to manipulate you. No, 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 don't get it twisted. You're, you, you flourish best under the governance, the governance that God sets up. Your life, your job, your career, your marriage, your parenting, your singleness flourishes best out of God's governance over your life, not you governing your own life. And we see this now in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5 through 9, it says this. They said to Samuel, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations. When they said this, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. I'm going to draw a picture of what's happening here. God has been leading his people through leaders and through prophets, but it comes to this point in history where they say, we don't want your leaders anymore. Give us a king like all the other nations. And so God says, if that's what they want, let them have that. Verse 8, they reject me as king, and they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as their right, as his right. In other words, if they want a king, let them have a king. But tell them you're not going to like him as king. Tell them that this king it's going to lay a claim over your life because you've put them in authority where I want it to be. See, sin at its foundation is rejecting God as king and looking for someone or something else to govern us. If we're honest, if we take an honest evaluation of our life, some of us are running for office right now, today. You're running for office. You got your campaign going. I don't know how your campaign funds are looking, uh, but some of us right now, we're running for office. What, what, what office, Rodney? We're running to be governors of our own heart. We, we, we are lobbying for power and authority over our lives. And this happens in, 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 in conversations all throughout your week. All this week, you've been, you've been tested. Am I going to do it God's way or am I going to do it this way, and who gets to make the choice? Who's going to have final power and final authority? We, we, we are running for governors of our own heart. We are, we are checking our approval ratings from others. 
Facebook, on social media, from mom, dad, sister, brother, children. We, we, we want to be well thought of and well approved. We want to control our environment. We want to control how we live and what we live, and we want comfort to move how we want to move. You and I are running for governor of our own hearts. And these are where we see these four root idols show up again in our life, these idols of power and control and approval and comfort. And when we look at the political spectrum in our country, that's what's running politics. It is a all-out war for power. Who can get to the top or what party can get to the top or what backroom deal can I make to secure my position? Because I want control. If I want to get control, I got to be approved of so that I can get the comfort. And I'm not just talking about candidates that are running for president or mayor or governor. I'm talking about how we interact with other people in our own lives. We we lobby for that. So how is God going to rectify us from this abuse of power? He's going to send Jesus. Now, I want us to pay attention to when God sends Jesus. He sends Jesus in a time of great oppression. Jesus is born at a time where King Herod is ruling. King Herod is a vindictive, compulsive, egotistical leader. He's so jealous of someone coming in and taking his position that he kills male children under two years of age. He is constantly looking for how he can secure power. And this is the setting in which Jesus comes. Now that's good news for you and I because if you today feel like you are oppressed or marginalized or mistreated, Jesus knows what that feels like. And I love it because Jesus could have come in a time of history where things were comfortable, where there was no war, where there was only peace and things were at great ease for the nation of Israel, but that is not when Jesus comes. He comes under persecution. He comes under oppression. And he comes to bring justice, just not in the way we think. Amen. So let's get to our text. Jesus is approached by the Pharisees, and they come to him, and they have questions for him. And these Pharisees, they're, they're crooked in their intentions. Because they come to Jesus with a hot mic. like some, some guy I heard about this weekend who picked up the phone and had a conversation with his supervisor and decided to record the conversation. I'm talking about the athlete Antonio Brown. He is quite an entertaining fellow and uh, he's mad at his team and how things are going on. So what he does, and he's done this before, this is becoming Actually, the way he does life, it's becoming his pattern. If he's mad at you, what he'll do is he'll, he'll record you and then put it on Instagram. Now, you want to you wanna get someone mad, come with a hot mic. 
without their permission. This is what the Pharisees are doing to Jesus. They're coming with a hot mic. They're, they're acting like they're a friend, but they're a foe. They're trying to get, something, get Jesus to say something that entraps him later so they can put him on blast, ultimately to execute him. So they come with this hot mic to Jesus, trying to trap him, trying to get him to speak against Rome, because if they can get Jesus to speak against Rome, then they have, they have evidence to crucify him. So the question is, should we pay taxes? This is a controversial statement. The Jews hated to pay taxes because they were people under oppression. And listen to the question, should we pay taxes or not? They don't want a lengthy sermon. They don't want dialogue. They want a soundbite. Yes or no? And Jesus, being so wise and so shrewd in how he answers this, knows their hearts. And this is why you and I, as we navigate political issues, as we watch what we're saying, as we are thinking through issues, not just spewing out stuff, I'm, I'm praying for a church of thinkers. I'm praying for a church of people that understand your words have power, so you choose them carefully because you are not primarily dividers. You are called to be reconcilers, to be bringing people together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So I'm praying for a church that can run well in Republican circles, then run well in Democratic circles, and then run well in independent circles because you understand how to use the power of your words. If you're going to do that, you got to be wise. Jesus sees their hypocrisy, and the first thing he does is he calls out their evil intent, and he says, you hypocrites. You're acting. He sees their intentions. And let's understand what's at stake. If Jesus says no, we ain't paying taxes. <laughs> Jesus, should we pay, no, pay taxes? No, tell him we ain't paying it. We ain't doing it. I'm through. I'm done. I'm tired of this. Does he know who I am? I'm not submitting to no Caesar. I ain't, I ain't paying taxes. It ain't right. It ain't fair. If he would have done that, he would have aligned himself with a guy named Judas of Galilee. Now, Judas of Galilee was a guy that preceded Christ. He was a, a leader amongst, his, amongst the Jews before Christ. And what Judas of Galilee did is he, he answered this question by saying, no, we ain't paying taxes. As a matter of fact, we need to raise up and take over. We, we need to raise up and take over Rome. You know, so he got a, a couple of people to follow him, maybe a couple of hundreds of people to follow him. And, and when Rome found out about it, they crucified him and all of his followers. So much so that the commentators say there were not enough crosses to hang the people. It's not uncommon at that time that you'll be walking down the way and see all of these crosses with people's body decaying on them to symbolize Rome's authority. Now let's be clear, 
Jesus is not saying this, ooh, I remember what they did to Judas of Galilee, and, and I don't want that for me and my people, so I need to answer this differently. That's not what Jesus is saying. Understand, Jesus' heart don't pump no Kool-Aid. He is not soft. He is no coward. He is the epitome of masculinity. He's the toughest man you'll ever meet. He's not scared of Rome. May I remind you, the same death of Judas of Galilee will be the same death of Jesus. And he does not shy away from it. Our Pastor Rodney, so why didn't Jesus just raise up? Why didn't he get his boys? Why didn't he call some angels and handle Rome? Because that's not his way. You see, that's exerting his own power to, to dominate his opponent. I'll say for a moment, whenever you feel marginalized, maybe, maybe at your job, you feel marginalized. You feel discredited. You feel like you've been pushed to the side for some reason. And there's this part of you in the morning when you wake up, you want to exert your authority. You want to you get back. You want to retaliate. That's not the way of Jesus. He's, Philippians 2 tells us, when he came, he laid down all of his divine attributes. He, he relinquishes his authority. He comes in a way of serving. And I think many of us, we need to be mindful as we engage politically in conversations and on social media because it is very easy in the United States in 2019 to say we are rebelling against the government while you're sitting in pajamas hitting keys on a keyboard. taking my stance. I'm, 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 I'm making sure that I'm, 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 I'm against this point as you're hitting the keys on your phone. And I'm, listen, I'm not shaming social media, but I am saying the rebellion at that time was very, very different than just sitting and hitting buttons on a phone. And watch this. The rebellion that's coming in your lifetime, in my lifetime, will be very, very different and just what you say on social media. Rodney, what are you saying? The persecution of the church, it's coming, y'all. It's coming. And I want to pastor a people that knows that this, this, this persecution is coming and that our faith is secure in Christ, so no matter what comes and what goes, we're saying, for God I live and for God I die. So Jesus says, I'm not going to tell them don't pay taxes. That's insurrection. That's me mounting up against Rome. That's me trying to bring the kingdom in my own way. But what happens if he says, yes, just, just pay taxes? Then, then, then they have to be thinking, if he just says, okay, y'all pay taxes, some folk would be like, man, what kind of king this is? How he just going to side with Rome? Why are we following this, this king that does not care? That's going to be the accusation. Who does not care about his people? In other words, the, the fundamental lie is, if I don't respond in my flesh, I don't care. Some of you all seen that growing up. 
that you knew someone cared by how angry they got, how loud their voice got. But in the way of the kingdom, he does not exert how he cares about you by how angry he gets or how loud he is. He shows how he cares about you by what he sacrifices, by what he gives up. How can this be the son of God if he's just going to tell us to pay taxes? Well, I'll tell you what most politicians today would have done. Because they got to ask that question. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? They would have said, you know, I'm doing a lot for jobs in America. What? I didn't ask you about no jobs. I'm, should we pay taxes? Well, you know, our, you know, I'm really securing borders. In other words, they would have dodged a question. It's easier not to pick a side, so they can't really say you, you sided with this one or sided with that one. Just, just be quiet and play the middle of the road. But Jesus doesn't pick that option either. Because to do that would be perceived as a coward or a people pleaser, and that's not who Jesus our King is. So what does he do? He says, give me a coin. Now, I love this. He says, give me a coin. He asks, whose inscription is on the coin? And they say Caesar. This is Caesar Tiberius, who was also called the son of God, the high priest. And he takes this inscription. He takes this coin, and, and he says, show me whose inscription is on it. And they say Caesar. So here's what Jesus says, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. In other words, give him his money back. That's his money. In other words, what I need my followers, Christians, to understand is Christian people should be model citizens. I'm going to run into some traffic now. But, 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 but we should be people that does what 1 Timothy 2 1 says. First of all, then, I urge you in supplication, prayers, and intercession, and thanksgiving, be made for all people but also for kings and all who are in high positions. So one of the things I want you to walk away from this sermon understanding that the Bible says, pray for your political leaders. The first Peter 2 verse 13 says that we should be subject to every human institution. Rodney, what are you getting after? Christians should be, should be model citizens. Christians should pay their taxes and not cheat on their income taxes. Christians should not fudge reports so things look better for them financially. We should not be tricking the government as we fill out forms for aid and assistance. We should not be filling out stuff for our children. Well, we only really, we really only made, you know, But they, they asked for full-time employment. They asked about my part-time jobs. Certainly, I ain't got to put my part-time. Okay, Rodney, that's cool. But what if, what if the 
What if the rulers and authority are telling us to do something that goes against God's will? What do I do then? I, I, I know what they're co- commanding us to do is not lawful. How do we respond then? Will you do what the apostles did? When they all were martyred for their faith. You do what the first Christians did when Nero used them as as lamps in his garden and set them on fire. You do what Dietrich Bonhoeffer did when he said, I'd rather die uh, by being hung than to see more Jews die. You do what Dr. King said did when he looked at the oppression of black and brown people in America being treated less than human and saying, I cannot be silent any longer. When you see laws go against God's rule and reign and what's laid out in Scripture, then you oppose those laws. Jesus says, give unto Caesar what's Caesar. Let him have it. But then he throws his second statement in there, and it's a statement that nobody was asking for. They wanted a soundbite. Jesus said, I got one more piece to add. Give to Caesar what's Caesar, comma, but give to God what's God's. Well, the question on the table easiest was, What's God's? Before we get there, to walk away and just hear Jesus say, oh man, he wants us to pay our taxes. Christian, I just needed to know what I need to do. I know what I need to do now. I'm just going to do it, whatever. Grumbling Christians. Some of us don't want to do the labor of thinking through what I should do. So we just come and say, pastor, this is my situation. What should I do? Tell me what it is. Fine, I'll do it. And boom, we're moving on. No, that's not what he does. He doesn't just say pay taxes. He doesn't just say vote with one party. He doesn't just say, you know, forget politics altogether. Man, we live in a time, and, and, and maybe it's my age, I have never in my life wanted to do like this more. Man. There are days you just want to put paper in your ears and not hear anymore. But the call of a Christian is not to be apolitical or to just subtract yourself from everything politics. That is not what Jesus does in this passage. He does not answer this question by saying, I'm not political. He engages politics. So in the same way, we are called to engage politics. But to be honest, it's it's, it's complicated. So we got to render to God what is God's. So what is God's? Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image, and in the image of God he created them, male and female. Listen, the same image that was on the coin, when he looked at it, he said, Okay, that image is on the coin. Give it to Caesar. It's his. But your, my image is on you. Give me what's mine. So what is Jesus saying? I stamped your heart With my image, give me your heart. I stamped your soul with my image. Give me your soul. Give me your life. The question is about money. Jesus is talking about something far more important than money. He's actually breaking the the stronghold of money over his hearers. In other words, this is a day's labor that you're fighting over. Give it to Caesar. Give me, entrust your heart, entrust your soul, entrust your allegiance to Christ. Because we're made in his image. And you're more than money, and you're more than your votes. 
And you're more than your political persuasions. Last point. They end this, this, this conversation with Jesus, and, and here's how it ends. When they heard this, they were amazed. In other words, the way how Jesus answered their questions left them in amazement. You'll, you'll be asked questions all the time. Of, Where do you stand on abortion? Where do you stand on sexuality issues in our culture? Where do you stand on the borders? Where do you stand on immigration? Here's what I'm praying for our church, is the way we would answer that question is not in a single statement, but that we'll be able to answer the question in a way that leaves people amazed. There are some issues in politics, in my mind, are very, very crystal clear. Doesn't take a lot of thinking. We know what God says on that. There are other issues in our culture that, that are complicated. If we're not thinking through that in a way that honors God, then we just go with what parties have said. He's calling us to be very, very nuanced in how we think through that. So these people, these Pharisees, they were amazed by his answers. But then the Bible says, then they left him and went away. But believers, when we hear his answers, we don't just say, wow, Jesus, brilliant, really, really good answer. We stop and we worship him as king. You see, to walk away from this passage, not just to say, man, I love how Jesus handled that. It's for us to look at him as the only true king, which leads us to worship. So he's not giving us political advice. He is laying down his life for us on the cross. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, but we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. The King James Version says, we are a peculiar people. I want to say to you, you are a peculiar party. In other words, that Jesus did not come, I've, I've said this before, there's a quote from Tony Evans, he did not come to ride the back of elephants, or he did not come to ride the back of don donkeys, he came as a suffering lamb. He, he did not come to take sides and say, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm independent. He came to take over. In other words, if, if you have every political party on the stage, Jesus says, I am a peculiar party and my people follow me as their savior. They don't look to do for man what only I can do for them. Politics and legislation can only take us so far. Only Jesus can change the human heart. He says, I'm calling my people to be different. And the party, this peculiar party that I'm leading, there'll be people that vote Republican and there'll be people that vote Democrat in my party. And there'll be independents in my party. And there'll be undecideds in my party. In other words, God is leading a whole new race, a whole new nation, 
a whole new people. And so how do we respond as a church? The church is called to live out a, a world to embody a social alternative that the world cannot know on its own terms. In other words, it is to look at how the church moves and say, man, how do y'all even operate like that? Why isn't it black and white for you all? So we participate. The church is to participate in the political process. We vote. We petition. We analyze policies and programs without getting angry and mean with people that disagree with us. We walk out political diversity in our conversations, in our congregations, in our communities, and we make space for people to see issues different for us as we call people to live out their citizenship in heaven. Amen. One of the things we, we hope to do in this series is to To help us understand for where we are going is that there are going to be all kinds of people with us. And one of the big problems, I believe, in, in our country and unfortunately as our church is we don't know how to disagree with one another well. And so we pick sides. If we, if we hear something, we, we, we moonwalk away from folks that are different from us. My aim and my prayer is that we can learn to engage people on topics as we agree on the main topic, which is Jesus. Everyone standing. Our allegiance to Jesus comes first. Our politics comes second. Our sexual orientation comes second. Our race comes second. And I can go on and on. Our jobs, our careers come second. Our, our education comes second. Where? We live come second. My dreams and my, 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 my hopes, the stuff I want to accomplish comes second. For the rest of your life, you're going to deal with major, complicated issues as we keep living and breathing in this nation. I, I promise you they're only going to become more complicated, more multi-layered, more more, more hard to discern. Here's my encouragement from you. Pledge allegiance. Pledge your allegiance to Jesus. And once you pledge your allegiance to Jesus and what he said in scriptures, things become very, very clear. And you're able to take hard stance as it relates to these issues. 